0: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now here is your host, Rick Morris.
2: And welcome to another edition of the Work Life Balance. You're listening to a Friday edition in the super special edition as we've got somebody that I'm super excited to have a part of the show. Uh, I came across this show being a football coach and, and coaching my son's team and part of my own work-life balance, and uh, so one of the coaches asked me if I've seen the show, and of course it's taking the the nation by storm. The show itself is called Last Chance You, and and there's been a, a an absolute breakout star, and and she's not going to say she's a breakout star, but if you if you search the web and, and look about anything about the show itself, uh, she certainly is the breakout star. Uh, And and we've got her here today. So instead of the lengthy lead-ins that I normally do and tell you where we've been and what we've been doing this past week, we're going to get right to it uh, so that we can maximize the time. She's a nationally respected athletic academic counselor. Uh, She is the the counselor to the most dominant junior college football program in the United States, and that's the East Mississippi uh, Community College Lions. Uh, She's got more than a decade's worth of combined experience at the ncaa and the ng and wow njc she's got me so nervous i can't even speak <laughs> and so uh she's in her eighth year uh on the emcc athletic administrative staff and and we're so excited to have her as part of the show uh and and have her aboard with us and thank you so much for taking an hour out of your day uh miss britney wagner's with us britney how you doing
3: i'm great thank you thanks for having me i'm excited
2: so Brittany, I've interviewed all kinds of people, my heroes, you know, John Maxwell is a hero of mine. Uh, I've gotten a chance to meet Lou Holtz and nobody's got me tongue-tied like you. Why is that? Let's
1: start there. <laughs> I have there.
3: no idea. <laughs> I have no idea why anybody um, is nervous, tongue-tied, um, starstruck around me because I honestly feel like I am the farthest thing away from a star Um so yeah, but I, I get emails and and people all the time that are freaking out or afraid to come ask me for a picture, and I don't get it. <laughs>
2: well, and I think that's the interesting thing, and and certainly reality television has been on the rise, and and people think it's certainly scripted. People think that you know all this stuff was set up, and from everything that I've read and seen, and certainly interviews that I've seen with you, that was absolutely not the case.
3: No, not at all. And I think that I honestly think that's why the world has taken to it the way that they have is that it is so real. Um, I mean, from the beginning of it to the end, nothing was scripted. No plots were induced. Um, you know, everything, literally a crew, we have three crews that are affiliated with the show. One is with me pretty much every day, all day. Um, and then one is with football, uh, either Coach Stevens or just in the football offices. And then the other one kind of floats with players or cafeteria or wherever. Now, all three crews go to practice and then all everyone's at games with added crew at the game. But the interesting thing about it, I think, is that the crew that's with me, I mean, they meet me at the door in the morning at eight o'clock and they literally, they just sit in here and wait for... <laughs> Whatever to happen, you know, for it to happen. And so they they may be recording, you know, if nobody's in here, then they may just be recording me doing doing work or phone calls or whatever. but um sometimes, you know, they just sit and then players walk in, the cameras start rolling and 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 they get these raw, real moments um, because they are just sitting here allowing people to be who they are and allowing the day to happen. But nothing was scripted. nothing was planned believe me, I mean, I don't think you could make some of this stuff up that happened last year. And I don't think had we had any, you know, any say in how it would happen, I'd, we certainly would not have ended our season three games short and not won a national championship. So no, it's it, it's real. And, um, you know, that's why I think I agreed to do it. I don't I don't think I would have agreed to do it or been a part of it if I knew that I was going to be memorizing lines or or having to be somebody that I wasn't, um, I wouldn't have signed on for it.
2: And I think that's why people are gravitating to you so much is is how real you were. And, and you you kind of had a fear, not a fear, but you didn't even think you were going to be featured that prominently uh, when the recording was happening in season one. So has that changed kind of how you're appreci- approaching season two a little bit or...?
3: Yeah, I'm trying not to let that affect me. I mean, it's, you know, you're trying to stay the same and be the same, but it, it is in the back of my mind a little bit more this time, just because filming it the first time, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even have Netflix <laughs> when we started <laughs> filming this, so I could not fully wrap my brain around the scope of just Netflix, um, so at that, not really knowing how many people, you know, Netflix reaches and then not really knowing if I was even going to make the cut to be in the show because I didn't make the cut on the GQ article that kind of started this whole thing. So um, I think I just was like, hey, what the heck, you know, I'm going to be who I am and and then hope for the best for season two. I mean, it is a little different now, now knowing and having this kind of stardom that started with me and then. And having the cameras in here, knowing how many people are going to watch it and knowing the following that I have, it's hard to get that out of your brain all the time. Um, But at at the same time, if I started to act a different way or started to be someone that I'm not, my players would call me out on it faster (laughs) than anybody because they know me. I mean, and they, you know, I've been doing, I I did this long before cameras were ever around. Um, and, and they know. And so I would get called out very quickly if I was trying to be someone that I'm not.
2: Well, and you brought up the GQ article and you, and there was the, the first one that kind of got the ball rolling. But the second article certainly, you know, was focused around you. So talk about that and, and how that kind of changed your perspective. Not only that, but for your platform.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting to me. Because when the show first came out, yeah, I was getting the attention on Twitter and I was getting the interviews on, you know, radio print um, sports talk show interviews, but all of it was around football and, and, you know, the, the show. And then all of a sudden I started getting the GQ interview. um, There were a couple others. I think it was a New York times interview that I did. I did a podcast with a, with sports illustrated um, radio podcast with them. And I started getting, and then yours is kind of in the same format. I started getting these requests where it was much more, you know, people were asking me way more than about the show or about football. I mean, I started getting interviews about education in America, you know, and my stance on on the curriculum or our, our public education system. I started getting questions about politics. I started getting questions about poverty and, do and, you know, the racial divide in this country. And so at that point, probably the GQ article was the first one where they really kind of went a little bit deeper than just last chance you and, and my role in the show. It hit me very quickly, you know, that I have a responsibility now. I have a, I have a voice and an opinion that people listen to. And, and whether it's validated, you know, whether I think it's valid or not, it's, it is. It's It's fact that I have a following and there are people out there that are going to hear my opinion. And I don't take that lightly. I mean, I think that's a responsibility that you have to really consider and be aware of and be smart about. Um, and that GQ article really kind of started my thinking of, okay, I need to make sure that I know where I stand on some of these big issues so that um, I'm not backtracking. You know, when people ask me a question, I, I can, I'm can i solid on where I stand. I'm solid on my opinion, on my views, and I don't have to backtrack later um, to fix something that I said. So... It's it's interesting to me that you, you know, you show up on a Netflix show pl- being yourself and then all of a sudden I have a voice and an opinion about education that I have never had, you know, or, or wanted to have maybe for a really long time, but never had the platform to to say anything really. Um, so that that is a huge responsibility and, and I'm excited about it. I mean, I think it's a good thing.
2: I think it's a great thing, and I certainly want to get into exploring that voice a little bit. We had a couple of uh, quick questions about the show, and that I want to leave the show behind and really get into to Brittany Wagner. Uh, but we we did have a couple of questions about that, and and I saw a, a great interview that you did for a local station here in town. I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and so you were just on the field with, with J Five and and uh, yeah. uh, Wyatt, you know, and and but uh, the the interview that I got to see. Um, was you know they were talking about how J Five was kind of represented in the show, yeah. and you know you were a little upset with that um, because you know again you you still have to make a television show you still have to make it entertaining so you've got just miles and miles of footage uh, so sometimes you have to cherry pick that you don't think he was exactly represented maybe the way he was uh, so talk about that for a second And then we want to also hear you know maybe what was one of the favorite or funniest moments that that didn't make the show that you kind of wish he did.
3: Um, you know, yeah, I think the J5, the minute I watched it, you know, I felt like when I got done watching all six hours, that was kind of the first question. I really watched it the first time in fear. You know, there's just that fear of you can't remember everything that happened in six months. And so there's that fear of, you know, what did I say? What did I do? What's going to be on the screen? And there's a trust that you have that you have to have. With the producers of the show, I mean, they can edit anything, really. They could take six months of footage and make anybody look any way they wanted to. So there's also that fear of, you know, I trusted these people, but are they going to put out the truth? Um, And they did. But with J5, I feel like... um, you know he, he was in a unique situation. Anytime you have a four year transfer that transfers down to a junior college and then is looking to go back to a four year, it's a unique situation. You're not here for two years. Sometimes you're here for one semester. Um, it's stressful. It's quick. You don't really have time to merge in with the team. Um, you've already been at that level, so you know the importance of going back whereas some of the high school kids you know what they don't know won't hurt them type of thing they don't really even know what they're missing out on by not being in a D1. So, yeah, I feel like um he was in a unique situation also being a quarterback, you know, you don't you don't transfer from Florida State to East Mississippi to sit the bench. I mean, you just you you just don't. So, a, another unique situation in his in his deal and I felt like he was not portrayed in the way that that he really was on a daily basis here I think the producers of the show would kind of agree with me on that is that that's not that wasn't their intent but it's just kind of how the world took it of him kind of being this cocky arrogant guy they loved him too and I feel I think that they are even kind of regretful that that's how he came off because I don't think that's how anybody saw him um he's one of my favorites and he will probably always be one of my favorites. Because he was a kid I felt like that would have made it with or without me. He didn't necessarily need me academically or to navigate through life. I mean, he pretty much had a good head on his shoulders and had it figured out. Um, But he came in here anyway, every day. I mean, he showed up every day, like clockwork and, you know, there were a lot of days where he kind of picked me up. You know, I mean, we 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 had a relationship that wasn't one sided. I mean, you know, he motivated me just as much as I motivated him. And I felt like he we had a bond where he felt like he could say anything to me and he could talk to me about, you know, the issues. And sees in episode two where we have the talk about the girl being caught in his dream. I mean, I felt like that was because of because he was comfortable having a conversation with me. And people took it as him being disrespectful, and and I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it was that we had that kind of relationship where we could just talk about it. And, it, and I wasn't preaching to him. It wasn't a superiority thing. It was just a conversation um, that was genuine and real, but people took it, you know, as this whole disrespect issue, and that he was cocky and arrogant and hated East Mississippi. And I don't think any of that... Um, it's true I mean I think he, he's a competent kid no cocky and arrogant I don't think I would say that I think well I, I
2: think I think if you're going to be a QB there's there's a certain cockiness that has to come with it it, it is certainly right. I mean you've got to be able to throw the pick and then turn around and come right back in and play listen right. we're going to take a quick break a lot of sponsors to pay some bills and we're going to be right back with Brittany Wagner from Last Chance U East Mississippi Community College we'll be right back
4: Every business is in the software business, and business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy.
1: Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business,
2: you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program
2: All right, we're back with the Work-Life Balance. We're talking to Brittany Wagner from Netflix series Last Chance U. So Brittany, right before we went on break, we were talking about J5, but we did ask you the question, what was kind of your favorite moment that maybe didn't make the show that you kind of hoped it would?
3: Yeah, I think there were several. We had a game day on Thursdays. We kind of had a game day ritual. The guys would come in before the game, and it was just kind of a chill session for them. And a lot of times it was music, um, they would they would pick these songs and they would play them. I had a speaker in here, and they would play them over the speaker, and they would all kind of sing or, you know, and and we would talk about the music. And there were some hilarious moments with me listening to songs and and being like, What is that? you know, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what is that even, what is he even saying? Um And none of those made it in. There was also a really funny moment, a teacher, an English teacher, had them take song lyrics and dissect the song lyrics, you know, find the symbolism and all that. And they had to write a paper kind of dissecting the song lyrics. And one of the guys, I was reading the song lyrics to try to help him. And I was reading them out loud. And I started reading them in like the Shakespearean, you know, voice. And like, and it was hilarious because the song lyrics were like Ridiculous. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm reading it like Shakespeare. And I mean, all the guys were just dying out laughing. That didn't make it in. Uh, there's another scene with me and my daughter in the car. And I'm singing Eminem. And she is like, got her hand fingers in her ears like, Mom, no. You know, and I just figured that would make it in to embarrass me. But um, there was so much stuff that I've asked them if I could have like the the blooper reel, you know, the... Stuff that didn't make it, if I can have a DVD of all that, because some of that is priceless.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we, we've conspired here and come up with uh, the title of your book, right? So when you write your memoir, and it's Do You Have a Pencil? Of course. Well, it has yeah, to be.
3: That one, and then the other title that I have is Pencil Me In.
2: Ah, now that one's even better. We like that much, much better. So having said that, right, in riding this wave, what is, you know, kind of that next thing? So I've heard people ask you, you know, were job offers coming in and all that kind of stuff. And I've heard you talk about that in the past. But really, you know, as you start to look at the plans, you know, next for you, what what is that career path move that you're hoping to get into?
3: You know, I think that, um... I have to be working. I have to be making a difference. I have to be doing something that I I feel like matters. Um, And I really love the student athlete. Um, I love working with, whether it's high school, junior college, college, even NFL, just this, the athlete, um, maybe in a life coaching role. um, I I could see myself kind of going in that direction. Also, um, there is a book deal in the works. So that would be another thing, um, motivational speaking, um, you know, kind of the, the work life balance or being a female in a man's world type of thing. I think the book, um, the direction that we're kind of thinking going in with the book is, is my experiences here and working with these athletes and what I've seen, you know, the different, the different lives that they've come from, the different experiences that they've had and, and overcoming, a weakness or overcoming, um, tragedy, hardship in order to better yourself. That would kind of be those stories that of kids I've encountered here and, um, would kind of be the, the gist of that book, um, in a al- lot in alignment with the pencil. <laughs> um, there's some symbolism there with a the pencil and how we would tie that in. So, um, that is in the works, um, with a book deal. I also, i love I've done some speaking engagements lately, and I really never knew this about myself because I'd never had the platform. But I love the motivational speaking. I'm, um and to me, that is such a huge audience that you can reach. Um, I love hearing the story, the personal stories after I speak to people or how what I've said has inspired them or touched them and then following up on those stories. Um, And then maybe, you know, working with those, with people that I'm speaking to, pulling some and then having one-on-one life coaching um, relationships with those people. Um, I think that's something I could see myself doing. So there are some options out there. And honestly, I'm just trying to kind of keep, keep it open and see where my path leads. Um, I'm not a big believer in like trying to force things. I think if you just kind of go with it, then things happen. So, sure.
2: Sure. And we've been down that path, right? So I've been doing motivational speaking for about 10 years and, and uh, have, have a few books on the market. And it's a tough road. It's a tough road, but it is extremely rewarding. It it is, you know, when somebody does come up afterwards or, you know, the best is is being able to be out there long enough where you hit that city multiple times and somebody comes up and says, Hey, I heard you three years ago or four years ago. Uh, It's an extremely rewarding experience. Uh, So certainly something worth it, but the platform, you know, so many of us right that, that that have been out here just toiling forever dream of that Netflix series that can launch that and so it's you know very important to to be able to take that platform and and, and really run with it but but you know you say you may not feel like a star you may not feel like you know, deserving of that that piece. But it's always that purity of heart that magnifies your leadership opportunities, right? And so uh, you kind of said two things that, that I want to come back to for you. One, you said, you know, you've been doing it the same way for eight years or nine years or long before, right? And so somebody's just taken the magnifying glass and, and amplified that for you. That's all they've done. Right. But it is you and it is your platform and something I think that you really should, should take that leap and go for, um, because the message is pure, and I think that's why so many people were drawn to you in the show.
3: Right, yeah. You know, and I think the thing that's kept me, um, I spoke to some college kids yesterday, and I think the the thing that's worked for me and the philosophy that I've had since I can remember is to always do the best thing for the student-athlete. Like, always keep the student-athlete at the forefront of every decision, and if you will do that, and I think that carries over into life, you know, if you'll see people for who they are and, and, and have a have a clear conscience of why you're doing something, then you know, I think I think your method is more is more clear. And it's not just about eligibility, it's not just about having them on the field for me. It's not really even just about them getting a degree. It's about leaving here better than when you got here. And it and and if you get here, you know, on a five then you're leaving on a seven or if you get here on a two, you're leaving on a three. You get here in an eight, you're, I don't care where you are when you get here, but let's let's progress you in some way by the time you leave. And and I think whenever I'm forced with situations that are tough situations or tough decisions that have to be made or stressful moments, I always try to bring myself back to, okay, this is a person. It's a this is a human being with a heart, with a brain, with a you know, and 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 what is the best decision for them? It may not be the most popular decision. It may not be the decision that Coach Stevens wants me to make. It may not be a decision that's going to be popular with this kid right now in this moment, but what is the best decision long-term for this student? And, um, you know, I think that's the thing that's kind of grounded me and helped me to be as successful as I have been in this career.
2: So you said in your GQ article that, you know, they, they had asked you, you know, you seem always so positive and you said you weren't always that way. What do you attribute kind of that growth to?
3: I think a lot of it, honestly, is just age. Um, you know, as you do this longer, you realize, I think when you're young, when I was younger in the profession, you know, like I was, it, it's like, you're trying to prove yourself. So you want it your way and you, you know, done the way that you want it and you're always right. And and you have all these, you know, opinions, and and they're all right, and and that's it, you know. And then the older I've gotten, and the longer I've done this, I've realized, you know, there's a lot of ways to do <laughs> to do things, and pretty much all of them can be right. I mean, you know, it, it, there's not one way, and there's not one opinion that's always right. And um, you know, I've shifted my opinions and my views on a lot of things over the years, and I think that, um, you know, with age, I've, I've just learn to not fight every battle, you know to not to not go full force with at, at everything and to just take a step back, take a deep breath. Also with patience, I think the patience part of me has come from seeing these students as people you know and really understanding where they've come from. And I think if you understand some where someone comes from, it's a lot easier to deal with Ronald Ollie on a daily basis when I, would think about, okay, what has this kid been through? You know, like where he's, where he's coming to me from where? From what place is this fear coming from or this insecurity coming from? And when you know that, when you know their backstory and you know where they've been through and you're thinking of that when you're dealing with them, you can't be impatient because you're understanding who they are and why they are the way they are. And I think anytime that you really understand someone, unless you're just a, you know, not a compassionate person, um, anytime that you really understand somebody, you're going to be patient with them and understanding and compassionate and loving towards them because you're you're grasping them and all their experiences up until that point. Um, And so that's really something that I've learned later in life, you know, is to instead of going full force at them for not having a pencil. Let's, let's look at, okay, why don't they have a pencil? You know, like, is it easier for me to beat them up for not having a pencil or just hand them a pencil? I mean, you know, what, what's easier there? What's developing the relationship? Um, And I think all of that just comes with knowing who you're working with and understanding them.
2: You said that comes with age, but you're only 23 years old. So that's right, just amazing, right? right? So we're going to take yeah. another break right here and uh, we're going to let some sponsors pay the bills. We'll be right back with the work life balance with Rick Morris.
1: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery?
4: It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, turn left ahead. the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Allow R Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit R Squared today. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to the work-life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
2: And welcome back to this Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We have been visiting with the Brittany Wagner from Last Chance U and having a fantastic time. Brittany, thank you again so much for joining us uh, for an entire hour, right? I, yeah, I feel so I blessed uh, uh, for you uh, penciling us in for this hour. So, um uh, You know, Brittany, we were were talking on break there. So again, we 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 shared that we do motivational speaking, and and I've been a motivational speaker for ten years. And about three episodes ago on my show, um, I, I did a show called "Parenting: An Honest Conversation," and and I shared in this conversation that I've had the opportunity to motivate hundreds of thousands of leaders around the world. But for some reason, I can't get my daughter to clean her room. And so when you start to try to get into the motivational techniques and tactics and things that I've learned, and it, it, it just doesn't work on my 15-year-old, I can tell you. And so the joke was at the time, and, it, and I actually did hurt my daughter's feelings and didn't mean to, but the joke was at the time, if I could ever crack that code, if I could ever figure that out, Maxwell and Covey and, and these guys who write, the, they got nothing on me. Nothing on me, but but the point is, is you know I've got a, a very sensitive ten year old son, and and you know my fifteen year old daughter is very strong willed, and and I love you know her strength in that. Um, but do you find yourself you know when when you're dealing with your lovely daughter Kennedy, who, who's your secondary breakout star on the show, um, you know when you're dealing with Kennedy, do do you find yourself kind of reverting you know your job, and how do you balance that work life balance?
3: Yeah. Um- no, I, I I feel like Kenneth, First of all, Kennedy, I've all, I've said I'm not having another child because God would get me back because <laughs> she she is as close to perfection as you can get. I think. I mean, she she her um, personality. She's very compassionate, very mature for her age, very smart, loving, um, positive. So she's easy. Now she's eight. So when she's 15, 16, you know, hit me back and we'll see how I feel about it then. I
2: think I will.
3: Right now, she's good. But my take on parenting her, and I've gotten this question about her education. You know, I bet you're standing at the door and she's sitting down and you're hovering over her with her homework. and, And it's actually the opposite of that. Because I see so many guys, I work with so many athletes who either have had no parenting, no support in parenting, or they've had... The, the opposite of that in the helicopter parent who has done everything for them or a coach or somebody, a handler, you know, who has just navigated every step that they're supposed to take. And then when they get out here on their own, they don't know how to do it. But not only that, it's not important to them because nobody instilled in them why it's important. They just instilled in them to do it. And so for me with her, I don't, I don't push, I don't push academics at all, honestly. Um, You know, if if she has homework, I'll ask her, you know, Kennedy, do you have homework? And if she says no, I don't check it. I mean, (laughs) because if she doesn't do it, then she's the one that has to sit in the class tomorrow and feel that feeling that we all feel when we're not prepared for a situation. Not me. So I need her to understand why it's important, you know, why her education is important and the feelings that she gets when she does something good, you know, and is, and and is proud of herself and the feeling that she gets when she, when she doesn't. And I think that alone, um, will she always make straight A's? You know, probably not. And that's okay. Like I, it's okay. But I, to me, it's not as important for her to make the grade as it is for her to understand that it's important to try her best. Um, and so she comes home, do you have homework, you know, if she says yes, and I, I say, Okay, you know, let's sit down and get it done. I don't check it. Um, you know, I call out we study, I'll call her spelling out words out to her, her vocabulary words and all that for a test. But I don't I don't sit there and harp on her grades. Um, now she is a straight A student and she's in the gifted program, and but she handles all that on her own. Um, she'll tell me, you know, mom's supposed to read for 30 minutes every night and I didn't read last night. Well,
2: that's amazing, yeah. You
3: know, then you may need to sit down and read for an hour tonight, you know, but (laughs) but I think that's her decision, you know, and it's either important to her or or not. But me forcing her is not going to make it important to her, so um. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite of what everyone thinks I am. I think in that in that way, and I, I'm kind of that way with everything she does. You know, if she, if if I'm not pushing it, she I've I had my chance. You know, I already did that, and this is her path and her life. And you know, I'm I'm gonna let her figure it out, and she's gonna make some mistakes along the way, and that's okay. You know, um, we're gonna learn how to dust off and keep going, and um. I just hope she keeps making the right decisions. And and I hope that she really values the things that are really important in life. You know, I mean, relationships, being compassionate towards other people, um, loving people. I think that I hope that she continues to value those things.
2: And I think she'll get that from watching you, obviously, too, right? And I think you know having her involved, you know, with you. And it, but you know, it's interesting, and, and I love how many times you've said the word compassionate. And yeah. Do you find that hard to to hold your compassion? Quite frankly, in such a male dominated uh, position that you hold, I mean, you you hold. Let, let's just be honest, a very tough position for. A, a female to hold in dealing with male athletics. And, and certainly uh, you've got to have, have dealt with your share of, of not only bias, but people trying to push you around in your position, all those different things. Talk to us about that and what that's been like in, in, in standing your ground and finding your voice.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably been over the span of my whole career. I think that's probably been the hardest part is being a female. And, um, I, I feel like there's a lot, there have been a lot of times in my career where I've been smart enough to sit here and know that I wouldn't have been treated that way if I was a male or that coach wouldn't have said that to me, you know, if I wasn't a female. Um, I, so I do think there is bias in how, you know, people treat me just because I'm a female and it has nothing to do with anything else. If a man was sitting here doing the same thing, nothing would be said about it, but it's because I'm a female. I don't think that's fair. Um, You know, but but it is what it is. And I can either sit around and whine and moan about it and complain about it or I can figure out a way to, you know, move forward and and make it work. Um, You know, I also think, though, on the flip side of that, there are things I really feel like the reason that I can have the relationship that I have with some of these um, black athletes is because I am a female, a white female you know I feel like if if I men have let them down so many times in their lives, whether it's a a black man that's abandoned them as a father figure or maybe you know a white man who's maybe um, you know yelled and hollered and screamed and and been very dominant over them, there's no the trust is broken there and 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 it and it's happened to them so many times that abandonment or that, that superiority feeling you know that they get when somebody acts so superior over them that there's no trust and so I do feel like the relationships that I have with some of these guys they trust me a little bit automatically just because I'm not a guy <laughs> you know and, and that they have a mother figure or an aunt or a grandmother or a sister or some some female figure in their life that showed up for them and so there's a little bit of trust there off the bat so I do think it's it's both sided, you know, that in some ways it's helped um, and in some ways it's hurt. Honestly, I think I think the coaches, it's harder to deal with the coaches to me as a female than it is the the athletes. Um, you know, I think it just I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I've, I saw it early in my career with my mentor, you know, watching coaches kind of push her around the same way. I think you have to be grounded Um, I said it today, if everybody always likes you, then you're probably not doing a very good job. You know, you're you're probably not really being strong on some things that you believe in if everybody is always thinking you're great. So I think when you're a female in a male-dominated field, you have to know where you stand on the big issues. You have to know what battles you're going to fight and which ones you're not going to fight. And then the ones that are important to you. You just got to stand firm. And if, you know, you're going to make some people mad, there's going to be some people that don't like you for it, but you just can't budge on those issues that are important to you. Um, I think when you start showing, you know, weakness in that, then you're done. Yeah.
2: And so essentially you're saying you're, you're not going to make an excuse for it, but you're going to push through no matter what.
3: Right. Exactly. I think you have to, you know, and there's times where, you know, Everybody here has disagreed with me <laughs> on issues, and I can sit in a meeting and say, You know what? Okay, I, I, that's still my opinion. You know, that's still how I feel, and that's still my opinion. I'm, you know, we agree to disagree, but I'm not going to back down off of my opinion just because you don't agree with me on the issue. Um, I think you have to be that way, and then you have to be consistent. You know, if that's really my opinion and that's really how I feel about it, then I mean, I, I got to be consistent with that no matter who I'm dealing with. Um, you know, and I think that's tough. I think women too, we get tagged with the all the whole like emotional thing all the time Or you know, you're Im- emotional. Um, you know, I had a coach tell me one time, he's like, don't take it personally. And I looked at him and said, I am taking it personally because it is per. is, I'm passionate about it. And anytime you're passionate about something, it is personal, you know, I mean, it's such a man thing from you know don't take it personally well if you're passionate about something then it does affect you personally it's you know within you um so you know i think you wouldn't say that to a man you know you wouldn't walk in a a meeting with a man and call it emotional but that's just something that we love to tag on to women and i think you have to be careful about how you handle those situations as a female
2: i agree now if he if he if he he wouldn't call me emotional, but if he told me not to take it personally, he'd tick me off, too. I'll just be yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'd be fired up. The, the Italian in me would be over. That would right. be that. So Yeah, I'd be talking with my hands and everything. So we're going to take our final break and we've got one more segment with Brittany. So please hang around. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
4: Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad, it's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, Turn left ahead. the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development, to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
2: business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance.
2: All right, we're back for our final segment with Brittany Wagner, uh, who was just at our high school at Hoover High uh, last week. Uh, So she got to do the coin toss, speak to the team, Uh, So we hope that was a fantastic event for her. Uh, So we're at our final segment here. So we got a couple of questions. I always like to ask one big question of our guests. uh, And this may take you uh, uh, um, off track a little bit. But what is the best advice you think you've ever received?
3: Oh, wow. Um, You know, honestly, I used to get really, really mad. My dad is a psychologist. And I used to get really, really mad. I would call him and, like, have these, you know, dad you know, stories and want him to like give me a counseling session, you know, to like tell me what to do. And he would just sit there and he would listen and then we would get done and he would say, if you'll just hold on, it'll all work out. And I would get furious because I would think, No, no, you know, like give me step one, step two, step three, you know, I want to know how to handle this. But now that I've gotten older He is exactly right. I mean, there's nothing is permanent. You know, everything is temporary. And if nine, I mean, if you hold on most, almost always things just work out. And I think that, you know, in those moments of frustration or anger or or self-doubt, we try to manipulate things and we try to make it what we want it. And then that's when we screw it up even more than, you know, it was before. Whereas if we would just sit in it, like, sit in the uncomfortableness for a minute and just be, you start to get some clarity and you start to get some, you know, you start to realize that maybe it's not as bad as you thought or you start to kind of get the answers just within you if you'll just sit still. But I think in this society today, we, we don't ever sit still, you know, we're always on our phone, we're always doing this, and we, we don't ever just listen to ourselves, um, and so I honestly think that's probably the best advice. And it was probably the most given advice that I've ever received in my life. From, And it was always from my dad and that just Brittany, just sit in it, like just sit in the uncomfortableness. It's not going to kill you, you know, sit in the uncomfortableness and let it come to you. And then if you'll just hold on long enough, it's all going to be OK. And he's right. You know, I mean, that's so right.
2: Outstanding. I'm not sure what that uh-huh. Rush of areas. <laughs> that that was the loud applause from your. Oh, no. yay! <laughs> so uh, another quick question: Who is a better interviewer, me or Dan Patrick? Oh wow! Oh, just teasing. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so when is uh, season two gonna gonna air?
3: I don't know. Netflix is very tight-lipped about everything they do. Um, we are filming it now. And it will not end, obviously, until our season ends. So hopefully that will be well into December if we're playing for the national championship. And then it takes them, you know, months to do the post-production and all that. So I'm, I'm guessing that it'll be much like season one, and it'll air June, July. Um, season one came out July 29th. So I'm thinking it'll be about the same time frame. But, um, you know, that's just me guessing. I mean, Netflix hasn't said a date.
2: Sure. And then any final thoughts for our audience?
3: No, I mean, I just, you know, I think that work-life balance, you know, like I just said, you just sit in your uncomfortableness and I think you have to figure out what's important to you. And then you have to make real effort to value it. I mean, you have to you can't just say that you value it. I mean, you have to put forth action to actually value what you stand for, believe in and what you're trying to balance. Um, you know, if I tell Kennedy that she's important, but then every time she's in front of me, I'm on my phone or, or answering emails, then I'm not showing her that she's important. So I think you have to back up what you're what you value with your actions.
2: And yeah, we appreciate that. We we talk a lot on the show here, uh, you know, about my family, my partner's family, everything else here. And so, you know, I, I do have to travel a lot for, for my business. But uh, but as I, s- I said in the break there, we actually coach my son's fourth grade uh, a uh, competitive team, but that's, you know, how I can get there and, and be with them and had a big win last night. And you're going to see uh, the product of a lot of that uh, uh, with Hoover. And uh, But, uh, yeah, we try to spend as much time as we can. And, and you know, we're not going to get these days back. And so we started right. our own company so that we could do that. We could be there. Uh, my business partner who's sitting here next to me, you know, never got to see his son play baseball. And so one of the things that that we're proud of was, you know, making all those games and, and making sure that we arranged, you know, our clients and our activities so that that we could be there and do that and see those activities. Because, again, we don't we're not going to get that second chance. Right, so yes. uh, it's very important to us and why we do this show. So thank you again so much for taking your time uh, to, to be with us. We've certainly enjoyed it. Uh, look for season two. If you haven't seen season one. Uh, it is a phenomenal show, Last Chance you, uh, and you'll find out why you need to be carrying a pencil with you everywhere you go, um, but uh, check out Brittany Wagner. Uh, coming up on the show on the 28th, uh, we'll be just doing a, a show around uh, some John Maxwell material, and then November 4th, we've got James Laughlin, who's a, a very decorated author, is going to be sharing some of his platform with us. So uh, we've got a lot of exciting guests coming up on the Work-Life Balance. We don't want you to miss those. Uh, But uh, again, our hats off to Brittany Wagner for uh, spending an hour with us and sharing with us her story. Uh, And as always, you can listen to this back. You can go to uh, Voice America Business or voiceamerica.com. Find this page there and listen to not only this show, but all of our past shows uh, as they are podcasted, recorded iTunes and Android. You can listen to them all. We appreciate everyone listening to us again. And we'll see you next time on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris.